0: Well, good morning and a happy holiday weekend. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Um, you know, just something that, that popped to mind, Paul and I were talking recently about, I mean, what's happening, what's coming, and, and his sabbatical, and he said, honestly, I, I'm not sure I want to go, because um, God is moving right now in kind of a unique way. Sometimes there's, there's times where there seems to be momentum, as in lives are being changed. People are taking next steps, right, toward faithfulness in God. And there seems to be a lot of that happening right now. And so Paul's like, man, I'd rather go some other time. It's like, no, it's perfect. God is on the move. He's going to keep me on the move. Go, refresh, and then come back and be part of it. Um, But I say that to say God is doing some unique things right now, um, and and we're excited about that. So Common Ground, we are a church. We believe that the Bible is true. It's the word of God, every word of it. Uh, We believe that God is the creator. There is one God. He created all things. Uh, with the word. Uh, The only thing he really used his hands was when he created man and woman and he created us out of the dust. He created everything good, right? When he finished, he said, this is very good. He created us to be in relationship with him, to know him, to fellowship with him. And then we messed it up. Then sin entered the picture. Adam and Eve sinned. And because of that, it was passed down. We are sinners by nature. We're born into it. We have no choice, but then we do choose. All of us have chosen to sin. And that sin Broke God's original purpose for us right our purpose is to know him and love him in authentic real relationship and sin broke that but God I love that in scripture but God but God wasn't surprised you know he wasn't like oh no what do I do now he knew all along that we would sin and he had a plan. And he carried out his plan. You read through the Old Testament, God at work doing things, right? Calling the nation of Israel, moving forward, uh, creating a kingdom, starting with with David, really, uh, and moving forward until just at the right time, he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus comes, God in flesh, 100% God, 100% man, lived a perfect life, suffered and died so that he could break the bondage of sin in our lives, right? The sin that condemns us to eternity apart from him and hell on earth now he broke that. In Christ, on the cross, he took the penalty, Jesus rose from the dead. and now in him we can have salvation. Someday Christ is going to return, judge sin, set all things right and create a new heaven and a new earth. That's it, right the big plan, it got a big picture. And before God even spoke the first word, he knew his plan, he knew the things he was going to do. and here's my question with that in mind, how does God carry out his plan? His preordained, Plan, how does he carry all that out on Earth from the beginning until Jesus returns? Would you be surprised if I said he carries out his plan through his people? God's primary method of carrying out his plan is through his people, not around them. In fact, I would challenge you find one example of God working unilaterally. I can only think of two. <laughs> I mean, as I was preparing this, two, one creation. Right? We weren't even here yet. So God created all by himself. The second one that came to mind was recreation. Jesus, God in flesh, alone went to the cross. He alone bore the sins. No, no human could do any of that. So that was God all by himself. But even this morning as I was wrestling through this, I went, nope, I got that second one somewhat wrong. Who did God use to bring Jesus into the earth? A, a teenage girl named Mary. <laughs> Right, who was faithful, and God said, you will be the mother of the Son of God. Wow. So God even used human agents there. We're going to look at Philippians, turn to Philippians, and we're going to see this truth. And we're going to see that God works both in and through his people to give life and meaning. Life as in life everlasting, salvation, and meaning and purpose. We're going to be in Philippians 4. This is page 1,085. So if you, if you need the Bible in front of you, if you brought your own Bible, I don't know what page it is. But if you didn't bring one, there's a Bible in the cage in front of you, and that's yours if you don't own one. Page 1,085, Philippians chapter 4. Now, just a little context reminder as we finish this book, Philippians is a thank you letter. It is Paul. He is in prison, and he is writing to a church, probably his favorite church, in Philippi and he is writing this to say thank you for a gift that they had given him and, and throughout the book right he begins with thank you right we are partners in the gospel we're on this mission together and then he moves on for a couple chapters saying to live is Christ right to live is Christ to die as game. and and if we're living for him we kind of need to look like him in humility in unity and then finally he's going to finish up again partnering in the gospel the theme really is missions his missions work. So let's read Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, not that I'm speaking of being in want or in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us understand what you had Paul write these Philippians and that we would understand how that applies to us, what you want us to know and understand and what you want us to do. God, we gather because you're worthy. Uh, you're worth it. God, we do want our worship, uh, both in mind and in heart, and when we move to, to more singing, we want our worship to be a fragrant aroma to you because you are worth it, and we love you. In your name, amen. So what is he talking about here? What, what does this whole section begin with? Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What is, he setting the context here. He's talking about a financial gift they had given him. Epaphroditus, the pastor, it looks like, of the church there in Philippi, they sent him with a financial gift. That's what this is all about. He's saying, thank you for this gift. So he's talking about money, which is why he gets a little awkward next. Because honestly, isn't maybe money the the most awkward thing we talk about? I mean, just try it after the service, go up to somebody, put your arm, hey, how much money did you make last year? No, we're not going to do that. That's awkward. Talking about money is awkward. And it kind of was then too. Because what, what does Paul do? Look at 11 to 13. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. So you gave me the money, but I didn't need it. <laughs> right? For I've learned to be content, and, or I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know to, how to abound in every, any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. He says, you gave to me, but I didn't really need it. And I didn't ask for it. Right, If I would have given that gift, I'd be like, well, thanks a lot. I, I mean, it seems a little awkward. He, he speaks this way on purpose because in that day and age, there were traveling preachers of various religions and beliefs and deep knowledge, and they would charge money for their, their teaching. Right, I have a secret knowledge about God. You give me money, and I'll tell you what it is. Right, So people would use religious stuff to make money. Luckily, we don't have that today anymore. And, and, and Paul, his whole ministry, he is separating himself from that group, right? That group was going, trying to get rich, you know, give me your money, all this. Paul goes and he says, I give freely. I'm going to teach you the truth about the one true God, the gospel, Jesus, and I'm not going to charge you for it. And he worked hard, you know, tent making. So he would work so that he didn't have to charge. He gave it freely, and so he's separating himself from these people. He said, remember, I didn't ask for it, <laughs> and I don't really need it. Again, so he's kind of awkward, but he's sharing something really deep and really true here. Right? He says there's a, a secret, and this is a secret that if we understand will change our lives. Now, 11 and 12, he says, I'm not in need. I beg to differ. He's in prison, right? He's in prison either in Ephesus or Rome probably Rome. In prison there, you had to provide for yourself. It wasn't like prison here today or, or jail. When you're there, you don't get food. You don't get anything unless somebody else provides it or you somehow have the means. So he was in need. Again, he's in prison. He was in need, but he says he's not in need. What's the secret there? Well, the secret here is contentment. What's he say? God works first in his people to give life, leading to contentment. By life we mean eternal we mean salvation. Right? Justification is the way scripture talks about it, meaning we go from being sinners apart from God to saved in a relationship with God. And then that should lead to what we often talk about here, the abundant life, right? This is our mission, connecting people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. Part of that is right here, contentment in Christ alone. That's his secret. Right? Contentment, not based on all these other things, right? What is, what is the opposite of contentment? Discontentment, <laughs> right? But worry, anxiety. Last week, Ben taught on the first half of this chapter, and he did an amazing job, right? People were in tears. Um, because he, in that was talking about unity, but also this idea of anxiety, contentment, worry, peace. Why do we worry? I want you to honestly think the things that you worry about, the things that create anxiety, why? The root of any worry of any anxiety is fear. Fear leads to worry. So what do you fear? If we trace that back, we start to understand, right? I am worried about what people think of me. How are they going to view me? Because what's my fear? Well, I, I fear people. Uh, right I, I fear not being approved. I want to be viewed in a certain way. That could be a selfish fear, not always. right We, we fear money. right There's a lot of financially if we worry about finances, and I we could probably take a show of hands if you're older than 16, you've probably worried about finances. What do we worry about? right? Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's food, maybe it's paying the gas bill. I mean, these are things that we can worry about, the fear not providing, or, or education, you know, we have a girl that just graduated this weekend, and some of you have graduates too, some of the, how are we going to pay for their, we want a good education, so we worry about some of those things, again, not all that fear is based on something bad, but the fear leading to worry then, then becomes bad, Why? because we we are not content. We want something we don't have. Again, striving after those things often is not a bad thing, but the worry and the anxiety around tells us who we are actually trusting. I'm going to read real quick, flip back one page, but Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, don't forget that part, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look at this promise. Do you worry? Are you anxious? Right? It's because you fear something, and that's natural. We're people, so take that and give it to God. Give it to God, and He will give you peace. And Ben did a great job last week of boiling this down to abiding. As we walk in him, he creates the peace. We don't try and create the peace. We give him our worries, the things we fear, we give it to him and he creates peace. But our choice is verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We have a choice where we put our minds. Circumstances happen to us, but our mind, we have a choice what we do with that. And so here we think about all these valuable things, God-like things, and we give him our worries. And he creates peace. So flip that over now. Paul is talking about himself in prison. And he says, I am content. Here's the point I wanna make on that and it's in your handout. God provides contentment even when our best plans fail. Anybody in here, one of those personalities, you create your plans and if they don't happen exactly like you wanted, you're stressed out about it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? And some of those, they're good plans. I'm not saying that's, it's good to plan, right? Even Proverbs talks about, right? Make your plans, but God establishes your steps. So moves to verse 13 and here's that secret. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm really glad I got this verse today. This is one of the most misused verses in all of Scripture. Um, in fact, I had a couple young ladies in the kitchen a couple weeks ago, and somebody referred to this verse, and I'm like, ooh, what's it mean? <laughs> you know, and they're like, um, right, when, when a pastor goes, what's that mean? You get kind of nervous, like, I should know, and now he's going to judge me. I'm like, no, I'm not, you're right, what's it mean? And they, some of them shared what everybody said. It means I can do all things. I can do anything, right? I'm going to go climb Mount Everest. I can do all things through Christ's strength. I can climb Mount Everest. That's what that verse says. Show this next picture. This is is a guy named Tim Tebow. He played for the Broncos for about three weeks. I was a big fan of him. But look at, uh, in college, he was famous for these verses he would put on his eyes, right? And this is this verse. I can do all things. I can go out and win a football game. That's not what this verse is talking about at all. Now, I think Tim Tebow has good character, and, but he had this totally out of context, and this is, and, and others then hear it. I can, it's not what it means at all. It means I can endure. I can, I can go through whatever circumstance, whether rich, whether poor, whether hungry, whether needy, whether full, right? I can endure all of it through Christ who strengthens me. That's good. We can take that down now. But we are not promised the ability to accomplish all things. Rather, we are promised that in Christ, we can joyfully endure all things. That's contentment. That's peace. Not that he fixes our circumstances, but that we know the one who's going through it with us. So again, kind of awkward there. I didn't need it, but, but kind of here's, here's his point. He's learned to be content. So he wasn't in, in need. And Paul's character, I, I mean, we can go through that. He says, I'm content regardless. He, and he, earlier he said to live as Christ to die as gain. He will go to his death. He will suffer and he will be killed for his faith. And I believe all the things, we, he was content all the way to that. And that's the story of Christians early on in persecution, in murder in the Roman empire. They went joyfully to the pyre. That's contentment, not based on circumstances. Yet, their financial gift is appreciated. <laughs> Look at verse 14. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So here he, he moves past the awkwardness and he says, but I am grateful Thank you, and in fact, you have always been consistent in giving to me. If you remember the story, it's in Acts where Paul goes to Philippians or to, to Philippi. Uh, the first person saved uh, is Lydia. She was a, a, probably a wealthy merchant woman, a seller of purple fabrics, um, and she is saved. Her and her household. Uh, by the way, the church in Philippi would move into her house. It would be a home church, and she would be the host. Later, you see a slave girl. She's probably saved. Um, she was annoying Paul. So Paul annoyed because she was possessed by a, a demon and uh, telling the future and whatever and Paul, and Paul gets annoyed. It's like, hey, you, demon, get out of her. And so the owners of that slave girl were annoyed because she made them a lot of money in fortune telling. Well, so they send him to prison. He goes to prison. They tie him up in the stocks and at night, you know, he's singing and doing his thing and um, earthquake happens and all the chains fall off and, and all the prisoner doors open. The jailer sees it. It's like, oh no, I'm going to kill myself, Right. And he goes to fall on his sword and Paul, hey, we're all here, don't, right? And he's saved, him and his, so here's that early church, right? A jailer and his household, probably a slave girl, uh, Lydia and her household. These are the people that are saved. And right here he says, immediately you gave to me. Paul wasn't in Philippi very long, right? After he came out of the prison, the leaders are like, can you please leave? (laughs) And he does, he goes on. And so this early church is just this ragtag, weird group that starts meeting in Lydia's house. And it looks like probably their first, they get together, right? What should we do? Well, let's go to Lydia's house. She's the only one with the house. What? They get in there. They sit down. All right, what's our first article of business? Well, Paul just left, and he went to Thessalonica, where he's going to go through probably what he went through. Here he's going to share the gospel. Let's take up a collection and send it to him. That was one of the first things they did. Thessalonica was the next town over the next place he went. That's kind of awesome. Right? They get together, and and Lydia in her house, she's like, Hey, Johnny, you're not doing anything here. Take this money and run to Thessalonica. And then come back. We got other things for you to do. I mean, that's how quick they got on board with the gospel. And he, he says, You partnered with me. Paul will refer to this church when he's writing to Corinth in 2 Corinthians, the best two chapters on giving in all of the New Testament. And he refers to this church as an example. Uh, the, the verses will be on screen, so you don't have to turn there. But in 2 Corinthians 8, he says this We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's Philippi, that's this church. In For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. And beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They joined the team day one, right? They got on board and they gave immediately. I love this passage. Can we put that up one more time? Sorry. But look at this. How, how did they give? The last line, they gave themselves first, right? This giving was not a duty. It wasn't something to earn at all. It was because they'd given themselves to Jesus. They believed he's my, that was the start. Then out of their extreme poverty, they weren't rich, right? They didn't wait. In fact, some of them, they had lost jobs. They had lost income. They didn't wait till they had extra. They gave out of their poverty beyond their means, it says, right? Not just, oh, we can afford to give. They gave beyond. And I love this part. They gave of their own accord begging. They begged to give. Can we please support you, right? That's cool. I mean, that is the heart of giving. Again, Paul wasn't asking for it, but they wanted to help the mission of the gospel. That's the theme, right? God, through his people, is spreading his gospel, and they are going to fuel that mission. That's what they want to do. All right, thank you. (laughs) We can move on past that. But, but that's where it began, right? Again, they gave themselves first to the Lord. God works in his people to give peace and contentment and through his people to fuel his mission. That's how he does it. That's his plan. Through his people, people like Paul, going, right? I, I'm going, and also through the, the Philippians at home were sharing the gospel. They were doing life where they were. So he works through everybody, I mean physically, with what we do, and then also here financially to give to fuel that mission. So the main point, uh, whenever you know, we, we study a scripture to try and preach it, we look for what is the main point. What did the original writer intend the original readers to know and understand? Then we can understand how it applies to us. Right. Sometimes we, we want to give an idea and search verses that match it. No, we want to see what did he mean. The main theme of this is the progress of the gospel, the partnership in kingdom work. That's the main idea. But there's a secondary idea in here. There's a hidden wisdom in here that can change our lives, and it's about money. If I asked you, is money neutral, what would you say? Don't answer out loud. <laughs> right? But, But a lot of times people think, well, money is neutral. It can be good or bad. It's kind of neutral. Well, Scripture doesn't really present money as neutral. It presents it as dangerous. Now, that doesn't mean having money is bad or evil at all. In fact, what the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money. The love of it. So it's dangerous. It's not neutral. It's it's dangerous. If you read through Scripture, how many wealthy, godly people are there? There's very few. There are some, absolutely, Job, Abraham, David. I, I mean, there, there are, but it's so dangerous. The seduction of money often leads people astray. And in God's grace, I think often he allows some of us to not have too much in his grace because we couldn't handle it. So in here we see, though, how to avoid the danger. And throughout the last 2,000 years, you know how some people have avoided the danger of the allure and the seduction of wealth? a vow of poverty. I'm going to become a monk or how to a vow of poverty. I don't think that's God's plan. Maybe for some, but in general, that's not the plan. It's no, I I mean, work hard, earn, but, but do it wisely. And so here's the secrets we see. Here's the first one. How to avoid the seduction of money and wealth. We already saw it. Paul gives us the example in prison. Number one, practice finding contentment in Christ alone, not in circumstances. That's number one practice Paul says I had to learn contentment I think that's helpful right we, we, we idolize these biblical characters but Paul I had to learn it I had to go through stuff learn contentment practice in your situations going no God's got this I trust him and go to him and hopefully if it's a circumstance that needs to change he'll work through to change that but a lot of times he, he wants us to learn how to be content within that circumstance so that's number one practice contentment and here's number two The Philippians, by their very act of giving, have refused to let their wealth control them and have instead taken control of it. That's huge. Do you realize, if you you look in Scripture, there are about 500 verses on faith and prayer. There are over 2,000 on finances and money. 40% of Jesus' parables are on money because it's dangerous. But it's also a tool that God uses, right, for what he's going to do. Luke 16, 13, Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And let me tell you this, many American Christians are actually serving a master money. How do I know? The average American Christian gives 2% of their income to any charitable thing. That's the same as everybody else. So how can you, a little gauge, right? Who's my money? Is it God or or who's my my master? Is it God or is it money? One, how's your contentment? That will tell you, I want, how's your contentment? And two, how's your giving? Those are the tests. It's said that Christians worship with three books. Scripture, the hymnal, we, we don't have hymnals here, but we sing, right? The hymnal and the checkbook. Those are the three, three ways we worship. So moving past that sermon within a sermon there, get, get to verse 17. Paul continues here um, and tells us why he had so much joy in their gift. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Oh, I love that. I, I, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant aroma, a a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What does he say here? I didn't seek the gift, but the fruit that comes to your account. It's the proof of God at work in them. This is mirroring chapter 1. So you could flip over real quick. Chapter 1, where Paul begins this in verse 3. Philippians 1, 3. Again, he begins and ends with the same idea. Philippians 1, 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when Jesus returns. God began a work in their salvation. And he's continuing, and same with us, if you're saved, God began that work. And he's continuing a work of sanctification, making us more like him, right? Uh, Giving us hopefully more peace and joy and using us for his glory. Why was Paul confident that God had begun a work? Because of their partnership. Their giving to him was first proof, uh, you get it. I believe in, in your salvation because you have jumped in in this way and that's where he carries on here. He says the, the, the fruit, right? The fruit that increases to your credit. Their cre- not that they're getting it to earn, but it, it's proof that God is working in them. They proved it by giving right away. They've continued to give. He's like, God is continuing the work in you. That's the fruit. That's the value. That's what excites Paul. He says, my work was not in vain in you because, and proof is you're worshiping with, your scripture, the hymnal, and your wallet, your checkbook. Proof, again, was their partnership. And the godly recipient, you see in verse 17, the godly recipient of the gift is not seeking it, he says, he's not begging it. I think this is helpful. Um, if, if any ministry ever begs you or guilts you into giving, don't. I, I, I mean, really, right there. If, if God wants you to give to it, spend time in prayer and, and, and then maybe do. Absolutely. But if it's like, we're not going to exist anymore if you don't give, maybe it needs to not exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, I said that. <laughs> because God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. God is going to carry out his plan, and he's going to provide for it. Right? And if it's not through one person, it's going to be through another. But if, if God's not stirring anybody to give to something, maybe there's a reason. So don't be guilted into it, right? Don't be pressured into giving. Giving, you see in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, part of that is making a choice ahead of time what you're gonna give. Again, it's not a pressure thing. It's a between you and God thing of how to give. Because God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. Yet, through them, God is providing to fuel his mission and to provide for Paul. We saw that in verse 18. Right? Because he says, I wasn't seeking it, but because of you, I, I, I'm, I am full. I have the things I need and more. Thank you. So God does use to provide. God primarily works through his people, not around them. God could drop meat and bread from the sky. He typically doesn't. But sometimes he does lead one of his people to get a bag of groceries and take it to somebody else's house and leave it on their porch. Right? Right? God works through his people, not around them. This is a huge point. This is what I want us to get. Meaning, if you are God's, you are a vessel for him to bless others. Right? You see somebody in need and you walk by, I sure hope God does something about that. God might be going, yeah, I do want to do something about that. It's you. <laughs> right? You notice. I gave you the ability. God works through his people, not around them. And I've shared that with other pastors. They went, huh. Really? Right? You have to think about that a minute. I said, find me an example where he didn't other than creation, right? God works through his people. And then in verse 18 also, oh, sorry, here's a point kind of on that, that I, I read this, this isn't my quote. I don't remember where I got it though. Um, it says, to avoid the allure of money, we should view ourselves as the channel of God's blessing to others rather than as recipients of payments we have earned. That's huge. A channel of God's blessing, not something we've earned. Often, right? We see what we have, and we go, "I have worked hard to earn this." Well, here's the thing: God owns. Scripture makes clear God owns everything already, and He's given some to us in any talents, abilities, opportunities. Those are also given by God, meaning we're stewards, right? We we do get to enjoy it. I'm not saying like all you know, go live in a hut and just give everything away. Maybe God's going, but we can enjoy it, and we we use but we're a channel to bless others. And then in verse 18, this is huge. After he says, I, I'm well supplied, I have all this, thank you. The gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Those words are taken straight out of Old Testament sacrificial language. Meaning a financial gift is a sacrifice acceptable to God. It is a form of worship. And in this, you see, it's with the right heart. A financial offering given with the right heart honors and glorifies God as a form of worship. I think the right heart is part of it, right? This isn't a guilt thing. This isn't a duty thing, right? That that we have to do this to make God love me more. No. This is an overflow of Christ in us. In gratefulness. We saw that in the first part of 4. In gratefulness and thankfulness, it's an overflow freely given joyfully. All right. Next two verses that are also taken out of context. Verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply every need of yours. This may look like give generously to God so that he can give generously to you. And I've heard that God is a good investment. In fact, I'd say the most toxic misrepresentation of the gospel is the prosperity gospel in our country today, right? That if you're good enough, and you give, then God's gonna make you rich. And that, that teaching serves to enrich in those who teach it, <laughs> typically. Um, but that's not biblical. That's actually materialism tied in spirituality, right? That's selfishness. That's not what it's saying. Now, is this verse saying, God will provide your physical needs? Absolutely, some Absolutely, that's part of it. I don't think that's the main idea. But throughout scripture, you do see that, right? In Matthew six, Jesus says, why are you worrying about what you'll eat, what you'll wear? Seek first the kingdom of God and he'll give you those things that you need. So it is a scripture principle that as we follow God and seek his glory, he will provide the things we need. That is a scripture principle. But here a bigger point goes back to the context of this of contentment. God will supply the giver with the greatest need of all, the ability to face all circumstances through the one who gives them strength. That is a more complete understanding of that verse. Yes, God will, he will provide, he's our God and he does wanna take care of us. But more important than that is the contentment. Because guess what? Life's gonna happen to you. If you you haven't encountered hard times yet, you, you will. And this contentment is what will change your, this is what will give peace and joy regardless of what's happening. And purpose, right? I think that's part of the abundant life is purpose that God works through us to carry out His will. We are blessed to partner in the gospel physically and financially. So how do we apply this? Well, we're going to apply this specifically because we have a couple opportunities to give toward missions. Now, as we look at this, we see, you know, partnering with with the gospel, common ground is a place you can give and you can trust it's handled well, right? Our bookkeepers have always been and always will be external, meaning there's no chance that we're going to miss... Appropriate, right? Nobody's going to take it because somebody else is watching, right? Because that's one of the main things that bring churches down. So you can always give. We have our boxes, but today we want to take a special offering for missions, not not for here, but to go. And there's two two ways we're going to do, or two places we want to send that money. The first is uh, an opportunity that came up in Thailand. So we we sent this team to Thailand, and they were there, um, a very unreached people area, and where this church was worshiping. Uh, We can pop that picture up. Where this church was worshiping was outdoor with a net on top. Well, it's going to start raining. (laughs) And and when it starts raining, that's not going to work so well. Um, And so we'd like to put a roof on that. Very simply, we want to help put a roof on that so they can worship. And this is one of those things that we're going to do. So this isn't a guilt you, oh, if you don't give, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. We're going to do it. I'm saying you get a chance to be part of it. I think that's the exciting thing, but we're going to do it so that they can meet, and then the second thing is this group, uh, which yeah, a lot of it, it's my family. (laughs) We are, we're going to Honduras. You see here, uh, Karen and Lisa Alamon and Laura Harwood, we're going to Honduras in about six weeks. We're going to go, we're going to work with uh, kids, with education, VBS stuff. Uh, We're going to work on some you know, planting, helping people learn how to grow their own food. Uh, it's in Honduras in the mountain area, very poor in poverty. There's a missionary there. Um, and his mission is education, gonna help educate these kids to help come out of poverty. Um, so we're gonna go help with that. And it's actually kind of unique. We were gonna go to Guinea um, and God really did reorganize. So we believe God is behind it, which means I'm, I'm not gonna say, if you don't give to this, it's not gonna happen. It's gonna happen, we're doing it. But would you like to be part of it? again, God works through his people, not around it. And we believe God has led this, which means we are confident he's going to provide for it. And so again, this isn't a, a guilt thing. This is an opportunity because as Paul said, I seek the, the benefit to you. That's how I feel as a pastor too. One of the greatest joys for me is when people finally get to the point in their walk where they realize, I'm, I want to give, right? And, and joyfully and sacrificially, that's a lot of fun, not for what, you know, the church gets or anything, but for what the benefit of the giver. And so the way we're gonna do that is right back, we're not gonna pass a plate or anything like that, but we have a special box right in the middle. And right there, there is a QR code you can give in that box, there's envelopes on the side, you can give nap, you know, cash and check the way we do, or you can scan that QR code, and it goes to the missions page, or, or to the giving page, and you can give there. If you give electronically, make sure you click missions fund. And if there's one person you wanna support, like say Lisa or Karen, You can write their name in the notes. But this is our opportunity, right, to participate by giving. If you're here and you're like, I'm not sure about that, then wait. Right? Again, it's not a pressure thing. We have these also right back there in the side pocket or in the info table. Grab these. If you want to pray around it, do that. God, do you want us to give to this? How, what do you want us to do? But this is a very real application of the truth that we see in Philippians, that we can partner with what God is doing. And so I encourage you, we're not doing communion today, but during this next song, if God stirs you, head on back to that box, scan that card, or, or give as God would lead. Let's pray. God, we love you. Um, we thank you for your grace. God, I do thank you. Uh, at least personally, one of the things I love about being in a relationship with you is, is the purpose you give. God, our, our lives have purpose. That we do, we are to be a blessing to others. Our purpose, we get to glorify you in, in worship, um, in studying your word, in singing, and in giving. Uh, you work through us, so we get to, to be your tools, your hands and feet to take the gospel to those who might not hear it otherwise, uh, to support missionaries that are going to people who might not hear it otherwise, but also to our neighbors. God, we are your hands and feet to reach our community here. We thank you for that, and we want to be good stewards with it. Uh, So, Lord Jesus Christ, stir our hearts, as you would, that we would be faithful to the opportunities you have given us. In your name, amen.